0: Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. I'm really, really glad uh, that you're here on this Easter morning. You could be many places, but you've decided to be with us. Uh, I realize some of you might be here for the first time. Uh, Maybe it's your first time ever to church, or maybe it's your first time to church in a long time. Uh, However you come in this morning, we're really, really glad you're here uh, to celebrate uh, Easter morning. Easter is a matter of life and death. It's not just a bold statement, it's true. It is a matter of life and death. Life and death is what this whole weekend is about. Good Friday, we celebrated the death of Jesus. This morning, we celebrate the resurrection life, new life in Christ, the new life He offers us who believe. Death is in our face, it's all around us. Physical death is all around us. School shootings, bombings, loved ones who die from disease or tragedy. We all know people who have died. Death is an inescapable reality for every one of us in this room. I will have a funeral. You will have a funeral. Diet, exercise, yoga seven times a week, make all the money possible, Garner respect, protect ourselves as much as we might try from death, try to avoid it, but you and I will die. God says in the Old Testament prophet Hosea chapter 13, He says, You are like the morning dew that fades away by the afternoon. I always thought that's funny. You're the morning dew that fades away by the afternoon, not here today and gone tomorrow. But you're here in the morning and you're gone by the morning. Death is inevitable. Death, though, is not just the end of our physical life. The Bible describes humanity as walking and living in sin. And Paul in the New Testament says that the wages of sin is death. says that in Romans. The wages of sin is death. So in one sense, humanity is The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. I know some of you are big fans of that TV show. It's not really my show, but I know many are. Many are fascinated by zombies. Zombie movies, zombie TV shows. I think the fascination is because we can relate. We can be zombie-like in our living, feeling dead yet longing for life. Death. The sins that easily entangle us, the addiction that no one knows about, the relational struggles that seem to never go away, the loneliness, guilt, and shame that seem to be ever-present, the injustice and oppression that have been inflicted on you personally and on communities of people. All of this is what the Bible calls death. I read a story this week about a tragic physical death. Four best friends. Three of them in the same family, two sisters and a brother, and the other was as close as family, loved them like his own family, and out of nowhere, the brother gets sick and immediately dies. All three of them were devastated. I read this story in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. And then there's Jesus, who loves them like his own family, four best friends, and Lazarus gets sick and dies. It is a story about life and death. And in the midst of death, Jesus steps in to declare something about himself. So I want us to turn to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 17-17. Through 44. If you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we give attention to God's word to us this morning. This is God's word to us. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the, uh, been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could he not Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come now and speak to us. It is a matter of life and death. We thank you, Jesus, that you have lived a life that we could not. You died a death in our place. and You resurrected into new life, and you offer it to us this morning to trust and to believe. So would you lead us to faith this morning in Christ? All of us who are here, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So I'm going to point out four things this morning in this story of death and life, death and resurrection. We're going to see that Jesus ministers personally, Second, Jesus is moved emotionally. Third, Jesus manifests great power. And fourth, Jesus mandates a commission. Let's look first that Jesus ministers personally. Lazarus has been dead four days. Four days is written to show that he is without question dead. There is no question he's dead. Martha and Mary are devastated by the loss of their brother Lazarus. They're confused. At why Jesus did not come sooner, did not come and heal their brother. So, verse 20 says, When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained in the house. Martha rushes out to meet Jesus. Mary remains in her house. They both have the same question. Verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, when Mary finally. Jesus, she says the same thing. Lord, if you'd had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha and Mary are both followers and believers in Christ. Jesus delays, Lazarus dies. They ask the same question Why Jesus? Why God? Where were you, Jesus? One of the hardest times in my life came when I was 24 years old. Mitch Drew was One of my best friends, he he was at Auburn University with me. He was the wildest guy in his fraternity. And the Lord drew Mitch to faith in Christ. and Mitch's life was forever changed. He was an amazing man. He was a beautiful man. And he tragically died one day when he ran out in the road to get his new dog, a puppy. He went out to the road. A, A car came over a country hill outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and hit him. And killed him. And for weeks, I shed tears. For weeks, I asked, Why God? Even to this day, I still ask, Why God? From my perspective, it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm sure each and every one of you have been in situations before where you ask, Why God? Where were you? Martha and Mary are both in this place. Why did our brother die? They're asking the same question, but they're handling this death very differently. And so Jesus engages with each sister in a very personal and individual way. Let's look first at Martha. We hear more about Martha and Mary in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10, uh, when Jesus comes to their house. And what we learn about Martha there in Luke 10, we see a little bit of it here, but Martha, she's an active person. Some might call her a busybody. She's social. She's always on the go. And this is somewhat Martha's personality. She's a driver. She's a self-motivator. In today's world, she might be an entrepreneur. I think Martha can get a bad rap sometimes in the church. This is who Martha is in her personality. And Martha handles this tragic death in a way that falls in line with who she is. She makes a statement of faith. Verse 22 to 24, Martha says, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus says, Your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So sometimes the people who are the most outgoing, gregarious, hypersocial, can be some of the most resilient in suffering. It's a gift. At the same time, in suffering and pain, Martha's can mask pain with statements of faith. Perhaps you're made a little bit like Martha, on the go, busybody, social. Again, God's made you this way. You are enabled because of this to endure and be resilient in suffering, but I want you to be careful that you don't throw out statements of faith as a way to mask your pain and suffering saying statements like, well, I'm going to see him again. God will use this somehow. See, Marthas can throw out mantras to suppress and avoid sadness. So Jesus personally moves toward Martha. He doesn't let her respond with a statement of faith and just move on. He stops her and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe me, Martha? Not just a statement of faith, but do you believe in me, Jesus, as a person? G- Jesus <clears throat> excuse me, brings truth to bear in a personal way as Martha is questioning why God. This is what Martha needs. She needs truth and Jesus will not allow her to mask the sadness. So he points her to the truth of who he is, the resurrection and the life. Look at Mary. Mary doesn't run to meet Jesus. She stays in her house. Again, in Luke chapter 10, we learn a little bit more about who Mary is and her personality. She she is the one who sits at the feet of Jesus in Luke's gospel. She's the one who gets the praise A little bit more than Martha. She's inward, reflective, contemplative. In today's world, she might be an artist. And in line with her personality, in the face of her brother's death, Mary turns inward. She becomes depressed. She stays seated in her house because she carries this hurt deep within her heart. Why, Jesus, she asks. Perhaps you're like Mary. Reflective and introspective, and suffering and pain come your way, and you feel it deep inside your bones. You can be crushed by sadness. Well, Jesus personally moves towards Mary. He doesn't wait for Mary to get over her depression, and Jesus doesn't give Mary truth like he does to Martha. In verse 28, he calls for Mary. He pleads for Mary. He invites Mary to come and to be with Him in her pain. And then Jesus gives Mary something that she needed. Tears. Verse 35, Jesus wept. He wept with Mary. He gave her His tears. A song that I've been listening to a lot over the past four years is a song by Philip Phillips called Unpack Your Heart. This is what he sings. He, say, he sings, bring your secrets, bring your scars, bring your glory, all you are. Bring your daylight, bring your dark, share your silence and unpack your heart. This is how Jesus is moving towards Mary. Mary, unpack your heart. Let me have all of who you are, especially your scars and your tears and your dark. Jesus wants to meet her where she is. And Jesus wants to meet you where you are. He wants you to bring your story, your pain, your scars, your dark, and to let Him meet you. That you might know that His heart breaks over your sadness and pain. Isn't this beautiful? That Jesus ministers personally. He wants to meet you right where you are, just like he did Martha and Mary. Second thing that I want to point out is that Jesus has moved emotionally. Verse 33, Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, and his spirit was greatly troubled. Verse 35, Jesus wept. I love the translation, Jesus bawled. Jesus bawled. There is no other place in the Gospels where Jesus cries like this. Jesus is sad for and with Martha and Mary in the death of Lazarus. The death of Lazarus breaks his heart. Isn't this amazing? That God in the flesh, fully divine, weeps. Jesus, who is God, holds all truth and all power, could surely fix this situation and this problem... And he weeps because Jesus is not like any other God. He is all-powerful and all-knowing but very personal. And he enters our pain and our suffering. I mentioned being 24 and Mitch Drew dying. It was devastating. But it was also one of the most sweet times of friendship for me. Mitch's best friend since they were little was a guy named Ricky Lotzbeach. And Ricky became one of my best friends at Auburn as well. And he was also very wild in college. And the Lord kind of drew him back to himself late there in college his senior year. And the fellowship of deep friendship that I experienced with Ricky at the news of Mitch's death, before the funeral, during the funeral, and even after the funeral was some of the most sweet times of friendship I've ever experienced. All we did... And we talked and hung out and ate food, but a lot of our time was spent weeping, bawling, like bawling our eyes out crying. And the funeral is forever etched in my mind and and my heart. Ricky and I both sitting next together, next to each other at the funeral, speaking, both of us, and, and weeping beside each other and with each other. Ricky's tears were the most comforting thing to me during that time. He understood. That's deep friendship. One of my favorite hymns is Amazing Love, How Can It Be. We sing Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Would Cry For Me. Do you know that Jesus' heart breaks when your heart breaks? Do you really believe that He weeps at the sadness in this world and the sadness in your life? What a friend. What a Savior. Not only does Jesus weep in this passage, He's emotional and He gets angry. Verses 33 and 38, it says that Jesus is deeply moved. His spirit is troubled. It means Jesus is groaning. It literally means He's snorting like a bull. Jesus is outraged, burning with anger. Man on Fire, Denzel Washington, great movie. Aren't most movies with Denzel good? But Man on Fire is a great movie. Denzel plays John Creasy, who's hired to protect this little girl named PETA. And he becomes close with PETA. He loves PETA, and PETA gets abducted while in Mexico. And the movie is a portrayal of righteous, passionate anger. Creasy burns with anger and he's going to find Peter and he will do anything and whatever to rescue her. Angry. Jesus is angry. He's not angry at Lazarus. He's not angry at himself for not getting there in time. He's not angry at his father. Jesus is outraged at death itself. Jesus is angry that sin causes physical death and spiritual disease, which leads to us living in a broken world. Jesus is angry at what sin produces. He is so angry, and He hates sin and the effects of sin so much that He had to do something about it. So He gave away His own life and death on a cross. And three days later, he conquered death and he rose victorious to new life so that he could reverse the effects of sin and death. Through his own life and death, Jesus is reversing the effects of sin. He has secured the day when sin and death will be no more. And by his power, he is pushing back the darkness within us and within this world day by day by day. And I want you to know this morning, the face of the loss of a loved one, the face of violence within our own country, or the violence that you have faced, relational struggles that you have, the proneness to fall to the temptations of pride and lust and greed, all of this makes Jesus angry. So angry that he did something about it. He offered himself in death and rose triumphant on our behalf. The question that he asked Mary and Martha is the question he asked you. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Here's the third thing that I want to point out is that Jesus manifests great power. Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus lay. Jesus, this irresistible force, comes face to face with the immovable object of death. And in verse 43, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And this isn't an invitation like he offered Mary. This is a powerful command. and He calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. An old theologian said he had to address Lazarus by name or else all the dead would have arisen at his mighty cry. Lazarus, come out. But why didn't Jesus call all the dead and include Lazarus among the dead? Because Lazarus' resurrection was a sign pointing to something greater. That's what a sign does points away from itself to something more significant. This was to be a sign for all who would see it and hear about it and believe to the great resurrection of the last days when all who have faith in Christ will be raised from the dead and be in full glory. Where everything will be made right. Where everything sad will become untrue. And Jesus' own resurrection over death is proof that this day is coming. By him and through him, everything sad in this world will become untrue. He weeps now for us, and he is angry and doing something about it. He is pushing back the darkness and reversing death. He's doing it in the here and the now by his resurrection power. And one day all the darkness and sadness will be no more. I love the, the saying of theologian Jürgen Moltmann, God weeps with us that we might laugh with Him. In the here and the now, our God weeps as we face the realities of death. But one day, someday, in the final resurrection, we will laugh with our Savior and all will be be made well. And that final day even allows us at times to laugh now because we know what is to come. I've been reflecting on a painting the last two weeks in the foyer. I don't know if you ever take the time and look at unbelievable art that hangs in this center, it's a black and gold painting with a line from a Maya Angelou poem. Maya Angelou often would give voice to the African American experience of suffering and oppression. I mean this poem, she gives voice to that, but also the resilience to keep pressing on in life. It's the poem that many of you know, Still I Rise. And the line in that Painting is, you may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I rise. That has been the African American experience. Yet in light of Easter, I've been struck by how this line and how this painting gives voice to the human condition. In a way, that is the gospel story. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I rise. Sounds a little bit like 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be manifest. A life in a world filled with death and darkness, often feeling trod upon, but by faith in Christ, still I arise. We rise by faith in him who lived, died, and rose for us. A world that might beat us down. An enemy that wants to entangle us in sin. We look to Jesus and we trust that he is doing something about this death. And we hear him say, rise. And by faith, we rise. He's bringing this resurrection reality and life into the present. And again, one day it will be full. He's the one at work. It is His power. But I want to end by saying this, that He uses us, church, as His instruments to bring His resurrection life into the present. For resurrection is not just future, it is also present. And so here's my last point. Jesus mandates a commission. If you catch verse 44, the man who had died, Lazarus came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus's power raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus was still in grave clothes. He was still bound. So Jesus tells them, unbind him, let him go. Come on. You following me? It is Jesus' power displayed here with Lazarus. It's his power that pushes back the darkness, that reverses the effect of sin. He's the one conquering, but he calls us. He commissions us, his people, who believe to participate with him in the unbinding of that which is bound. He has called us, his church, to be instruments of bringing the future resurrection into the present. It's our commission. That we participate where God is at work. That we help take off the grave clothes of those whom God is raising from the dead. Tracking with me now? That person who has an addiction to pornography? In the name of Jesus and by the power of Christ, you enter into their life and you point them to Christ and you help unbind them. That person who has no money and no place to sleep, you enter into their life and you help unbind them. That person whose marriage is falling apart, you enter into their life and by Christ's resurrection power, you help unbind them. That coworker who is depressed and lonely, you enter into their life and you help unbind them. In and by Christ, we unbind the chains of sin around people. We unbind the oppression that weighs people down. Are you joining in Christ's work in this world? Do you weep with those who weep? And do you get so angry at what sin produces that you will do something about it? Death is real, inevitable. One out of one of you will die. The stench of death, the spiritual disease of sin bats 1,000%. Every single one of us is affected by sin, but thanks be to God that we believe and trust in a risen Savior who has defeated death and darkness and is making his new life in this new world visible now in and through us and one day someday perfectly in glory. And the the question that this passage asks, the question that Jesus asks, the question that I'm asking you, do you believe him? I pray you do, and I pray you will each and every day. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come. You would meet us right where we are. I pray that you would point us to your tears and to your truth, the ways that you minister to us. And I pray that you would point us to your life, death, and resurrection we know you are doing something about the brokenness of this world. Lord, thank you that we get to be with you. We get to participate in this kingdom. Would you meet us now as we come to your table? In Jesus' name, amen.